Unearthed Memphis, your Memphis history podcast with hosts Alan Compton and Tara Ingram. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Unearthed Memphis. I'm Alan. And I'm Tara. We hope you enjoyed our Pride episode about Memphis's first drag pageant and how the LGBT plus community has evolved over the years. Uh, we thoroughly enjoyed researching it and writing it. Uh, it's really amazing how our city has such a revolutionary pride history. So I'm really proud of us. Yeah. Uh, so much has happened in the past month. Um, Alan's had some 4th of July gigs. Yeah, we went to the Crafts and Drafts Fair at the Crosstown Concourse. Yes, and I got a super cool Tennessee state-shaped necklace. Uh, yeah. uh, the first real craft fair we've been to, and it seems like forever, uh, we celebrated 5,000 downloads at the Great Canary. Woohoo! 5,000, guys. That's really exciting. Yeah. I, not that I didn't think we were totally awesome, but 5,000 <laughs> <laughs> is a, a whole lot. It's yeah. a whole lot of downloads. So big thanks to everyone. Yeah. Um, but I will say, we actually went to the Great Canary to have a, a grown-up dinner with my sister. And then we realized we had 4,998 downloads. And we were really excited. So we just kept hitting refresh uh, throughout the night. Poor sister there. She was just like, what are you guys doing? We're like, we got to get to 5,000. Um, and so we kept doing that, and we, we thought we would catch 5,000. Um, but then uh, uh, we refreshed, and it was 5,005. Oh, well. <laughs> but we tried. It's, it's still close. pretty cool. And we went to our second uh, 901C football game of the season, which we won. Woo-hoo! Yeah, we went to another one last night, actually, which we tied, which we, is uh, it's still good. We did. We did. It's still good. And, we have uh, a good team this year. We do. And we, we played against probably the coolest named uh, team <laughs> in the country. The Birmingham Legion. Yes, yes. I thought that was, we thought that was pretty <laughs> awesome and kind of spooky, although they don't capitalize on it, but no. we thought it was really awesome. No. <laughs> Uh, we celebrated our friend Fee's 50th birthday, and we were able to safely see tons of friends that we had not seen in about a year and a half. Yay. And then we went to our first post-pandemic trolley night downtown, which yeah. that's a fun thing that I had never done before. Yeah, it, uh, it's been a really great month, it which has. is um, probably why we haven't uh, recorded in a month. So um, yeah. yeah, there's that. We've been busy, guys. We've with, been doing things. Yeah. With, with stuff. <laughs> Let's get back up and talk about the Great Canary for a minute, though. If you've not ever eaten or had drinks there, let us assure you it's fantastic. And their food is delicious. It is. If you told me the only thing that I could ever eat for the rest of my life was their squash donuts, I'd be completely fine with that. Squash donuts. Yes. They are deep fried circle business of squash. And uh, and there's bacon involved, so mm-hmm. all of that's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Their drinks are also really, really good. Uh, they have a full bar. And they have an ever-changing, extremely creative speci- specialty drink menu using Old Dominic spirits. Mm, yum. And we'll have an in-depth look into Old Dominic at some point in the near future. But again, we assure you, they do not disappoint. Nope. Yeah. Please wonderful. make a reservation, though, and check uh, check them out if you have not done that so far. Yes, we love it. Um, and trolley night was a lot of fun as well. Uh, we took my sister and niece since they had not ever been and Alan not ever been apparently. Yeah, so uh, it was just me. But we finally procured ourselves a paper and clay mug. Yay. Yay. And paper and clay is a local pottery slash kitchen stuff slash local artisan shop on South Main. And uh, 
uh, not terribly long ago, we tried to get one of their special edition Elmwood designs uh, when they were uh, available for limited release online. I'm just going to let you know I did bunny rabbit ears to myself because nobody else can see me. Oh, I, I saw them. I saw them. Oh. Anyway, so we tried to get one online, but uh, we did not succeed because they sold like hotcakes because yeah. they're real awesome. Um, but we did get a really super cool one that night, and uh, I'm going to tell you, they make some really good mugs. Yeah, they they, uh, they hold correctly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, they spread the warmth correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. They're amazing. <laughs> so we, we have a bit of a mug problem, mm-hmm. and it's a little, really more of a habit, mm-hmm. not a problem. Right. Yeah. If there's a good mug, you know, and you know what we mean, the right size, weight, comfortable to hold... We've got to have it. If they or s- the heat spreads if evenly. If the heat spreads evenly throughout <laughs> the mug and throughout your body. That's right. Uh, or if it's from somewhere that we vacationed or uh-huh. from an eatery that we enjoy yes. or a company we support or a movie or book series that we like. Uh, <laughs> really know. any other thing. You get the point. Yeah. Um, it's really more of a problem, really. It's it's not really a habit anymore at no. this point. No. There's two. We have a whole cabinet in our kitchen reserved for them. Full. Full yeah. of them. And most of them are, are good, but... um, uh, some, some of them <laughs> suck. They do, but they're really cool. Like my Dolly mug, which is pretty impractical because it is small and oddly shaped. Yeah. <laughs> but it there's, was a, just, there's a nose you have to navigate there around. There is, and a, and a pointy eyebrow. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was really cool, so I had to have it. And, uh, and I just love Salvador Dali, so that's what happened. And I'm going to tell you a little story about it because I like telling stories about stuff. All right. So we went to this Dali Museum in Montmartre. That's a Mont- terrible... Montmartre. <laughs> Mont- For you English Montmartre speakers. in Paris. Um, and I wanted all the things because it's really amazing. But there was this giant snail, like ride-on size. Picture Alice in Wonderland and the Mad Hatter. That kind of ride-on snail. And Alan would not let me sell an organ on the black market to even get a small version it of... It would have taken more than an organ. It probably would have. Probably a couple of people. <laughs> um, so since I couldn't get one, I found a handmade one in a, a little shop while we were strolling through the neighborhood. Because snail shopping in Paris seemed fitting. <laughs> it does, actually. It does. Uh, uh, back, back to trolley night. Uh, <laughs> after shopping local, we decided to hit up Wiseacre and try their apricot summer brew and mm. some Little Betty pizza and sandwiches. And it was all fantastic. Yes. Uh, it was a wonderful Memphis summer night. It was. Oh, I loved and, it. Yeah. Recently occurred to us that July 18th was actually our one-year podcast anniversary. Woo! Pod- Podcast anniversary, yeah, po- pot anniversary, <laughs> cast the pottery. Uh, that's, that's not really. That's a thing. not a thing, dear. Um, <laughs> personally, I'm proud of us for keeping it going for this long. I think we're at the point where we feel like a real podcast, mm-hmm. and except that we don't make any money from it, that's okay though. It's okay. I mean, I guess we could, but then it'd feel like work, and people would expect things from us, like a consistent every two week new episode. Like which, back in the day, <laughs> which which we try to do, we try to do, but but what do the you do? The intent is there, but you know, we, life. We got jobs. day jobs, yep. <laughs> and there's always something in the way, and we're we're a Memphis podcast, so we got to go out and do stuff for research purposes. Research. She did air quotes again. I did. Yeah. Well, in honor of our one year anniversary and hitting five thousand downloads, we're going to be doing a little giveaway at some point soon, mm-hmm. um, because who doesn't love free merch? I mean, I love free merch. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll also put some merch up for sale if it ends up looking good. We have not um, 
gone down that path yet. Well, sort of. Sort of. We're getting really. there. Yeah. We're getting there. So. It'll be amazing. And you can represent your favorite niche history podcast because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're obviously your favorite, right? Obviously. Right? Yes. And you can show off all the swag to your friends or awkwardly bring up the podcast during conversation when the conversation has clearly not led you there. You know, socially yeah. force feed the people around you. Yeah. Get uncomfortable with it. <laughs> get in there and waterboard people with talk of our podcast. Yes. And if we get enough listeners on the regular we might have a little topic expansion in the plants uh for the future yep yep and once we figure out how we want to do that giveaway we'll post it on our instagram facebook and tarot post on twitter because yeah. i don't i don't go on that thing yeah i'm not good twitter user but i i kind of try sort of I'm not being an old man about it. I just don't like it. I don't really either, but <laughs> I feel like that you got to hit them all, right? Yeah. Yeah, you have to, I Go guess. Catch yeah. them all, like Pokemon. Uh, no. Is that, is that, no. I don't know <laughs> what that means. I digress. Uh, there will be a little legwork on your part for the giveaway, of course, as in all giveaways or most giveaways, I guess. Uh, probably some tagging of sorts. Uh, we're trying to get famous, remember? Yep, yep. And uh, we won't make you do anything ridiculous. Or will we? Maybe. Mm. Maybe. Rolling my dastardly mustache. <laughs> I don't have a dastardly mustache. Wringing my hands right <laughs> now. All right. Enough of that. On to our story. Because that's why you came here, right? Yep. All right. The episode came from an idea in a book that I saw at Novel, our wonderfully locally owned and operated bookstore. Brief history of Novel. It used to be Davis Kid Booksellers, and it was this huge, super cool bookstore and Alan's brother used to work there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then it became the booksellers at Laurelwood for a little while. Mm -hmm. And then it shut down for a while. Mm. Eventually reopened as novel. Woohoo! Uh, after some downsizing to make it, you know, affordable. Right. Um, it is one of our favorite places in Memphis. Not only do they have any kind of book you can imagine, they're also a gift shop that has a hearty amount of local products for sale, a restaurant with delicious food. And incredibly knowledgeable staff that has worked there for like 150 years or something like that. Yes. Maybe not that long, but lo really long time. Really long time. Um, anyway, while we were browsing the local Memphis section, I saw this book, Memphis Castles, Former Homes and Stories of Prominent Memphians. And as I was flipping through the pages, I saw my sister's house. <laughs> So I, what? I know. Um, I immediately took a picture and sent it to her, and she was extremely excited. Her house was something special, and I was jealous. <laughs> and the house really is beautiful. And at some point, it was converted into first and second floor apartments, which are still pretty cool. Um, but how glorious would it be if they could be converted uh, back to their original state? It would be awesome. Yeah. And maybe one day, but she doesn't own it, so we'd have to convince the owners to sell it to us. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so why is her home so special? I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I do know. I read it. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. You wrote it. So. Well, it was once owned by a man named Lorenzo Pacini, an immigrant from Valdotavo, Italy. That's a hard one. Um he arrived in Memphis in 1887 after hearing stories his father told about the city. His father, Amanzi, had been through a Memphis in the 1840s and described it as a grand romantic place. Aww. Lorenzo knew he had to go to Memphis, so after he got out of the Italian army, he made his way here. And when Pacini arrived in Memphis, he needed a job, like you do. <laughs> and he found one at Pee Wee's Saloon on Beale Street. A uh, fun fact, the sign outside Pee-wee's used to say P period W-E-E apostrophe S 
because the sign man misspelled it. Right. <laughs> well, Pee Wee's was owned by Vigilio. I've also read Virgilio, Virgilio, and Vigello. That was just Americans trying to make some sense out of yeah, an Italian name. Exactly. I think. And his last name, I'm going to spell it and then I'm going to say it probably completely wrong, but it's M A F F E I. Mafi? I'm going to say Mafi. Okay, that's what we're going to go for. Um, he was a man who stood about four and a half feet tall and he was nicknamed Pee Wee. So, he arrived in Memphis from Italy via New York City in the 1870s, and he started out working as a bartender at the Galena Exchange. And let's tangent to the Galena Exchange building for just a moment. Uh, Charles Galena was a 31-year-old judge in Shelby County with a love for horse racing. Uh, Apparently, he won so much money betting on horses, he decided to use that money to build a magnificent building on Beale Street. The three-story building would house a saloon and gambling hall, a second floor courtroom, because <laughs> that's where gambling hall and then courtroom, oh. and a twenty room hotel, and his family would occupy the third floor. The saloon was open twenty four seven, so patrons could have fun all day and night. The business thrived for years, but eventually Galena would pass away, and the building would go to family members. And when it was sold, it became various shops until a fire broke out and destroyed the inside. And then a windstorm took down all but the front. So God really had it out for this building. Apparently. Yeah. Um, you can now, though, find the facade of the Galena Exchange building supported by metal beams right outside Silky O'Sullivan's on Beale. Oh, Silky's. Yeah. I've had far too many disgusting diver buckets than mm. I'd ever actually like to admit to while hanging out with some Irish diving goats. Yeah. They got yeah. goats, people. They got, they got goats. <laughs> uh, do you even know it's in a diver bucket? Beer, liquor, and a hundred straws. Yeah, pretty much. Mostly beer, mm. cheap beer. Yeah. To my memory, it va- tastes vaguely of bubble gum, but that might have been my college brain working some, ma- some magic with the taste of it. I'm not real sure. <laughs> um, not sure if they pull that off either, but they do because I never saw anything but bottles go in it. So who yeah. knows? Yeah, and people probably have a lot them. of schnapps. Tons of people have them, though, walking around the street. Yeah, mm. and know what else is in a diaper? Aside from the backwash of everyone else you're sharing it with? What's that? Regret. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think everyone should try one just to say they've had one, but they are, in fact, awful. They're awful. <laughs> <laughs> but you should try one, totally. I yes. mean, it's an experience thing, not really a taste thing. Exactly. You need one of those buckets to put random stuff in your house yeah, in, you could- too. Pot a plant in it or something. They're collector's items. Who knows? All right, back to Pee Wee. Um, According to the legend, he started out with only a dime in his pocket and managed to gamble his way to make enough money to open his own saloon in 1884. The original location was on the corner of Hernando and Beale and eventually moved to 317 Beale. Naming the saloon after himself, Pee Wee's was the hangout for musicians, gamblers at the time, and it was also open 24-7. Yeah, and along with the actual bar up front, uh, in the back there were billiards and cards and dice tables, as well as a cigar stand. And even though most saloons on Beale had gambling, uh, there were still periodic raids by the police. And in an effort to protect themselves, Pee Wee set up a warning system, much like the cat that you were hearing in the background. <laughs> She's warning us <laughs> she of something right now. She is on our roll today. Um, Pee-wee had a front doorman who was the lookout, and he had a buzzer under his shirt. And if he saw anyone suspected of being the fuzz, uh, he alerted the staff. 
And then he also had some men that play dominoes, uh, dominoes all day watching out as backup. So Pee-wee's was in fact raided one time, but they ended up letting everyone go and letting him off the hook. After Pacini had worked for Pee-wee for a while, he found his way into the family business by marrying Pee-wee's daughter. Mm-hmm. I've also read sister, but it makes more sense that it was his daughter. Probably so. um, and he ended up running the saloon with his brother, Angelo. Eventually, Pee-wee headed back to Italy in 1913, and he let the brothers continue his legacy. And talk about Beale for a moment. Originally, Beale, B-E-A-L, Avenue, so Beale without the E, what we now know as Beale Street, was created in 1841 by Robertson Topp, a former military man. And they were like... Beal, B-A-L, that doesn't spell Beal. That does not. Let's add an E on the end. <laughs> that makes way more sense. And it also just looks kind of weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the west end of the street had merchant shops, and then the east end was residential. And the middle part of the street is where you'd find the saloons and brothels, some venues more seedier than others, giving rise to the nickname The Underworld. Yes, Veriscura. Um, people would come up from working on the river and patronize the shops and saloons on Beale. The area began attracting musicians, mostly African-American acts, to perform. In the late 1870s, yellow fever hit Memphis, and those who didn't die from the disease fled the city. We lost so many people, and Memphis even lost its charter and became a tax district instead of a city. Exactly. And hold tight for episodes on the yellow fever. They are coming. Yeah, notice she said episodes. Yeah, it's it's going to be a big one. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But after 1878, thanks to Robert Church, a former slave, Memphis got its charter back and we became a city again. Woohoo! Church bought up numerous businesses on Beale and the surrounding area, and he became the South's first African-American millionaire. And fear not, there will also be a lengthy episode on him, too. True, yeah. Church renovated buildings, started the first bank for African-Americans, and owned by African-Americans. Uh, Built the first Baptist church on Beale, the first church built for and by African Americans, um, and built Church Park, an auditorium where numerous musical acts played and politicians were frequent to speak with to Memphians. Uh, Beale was home to many black-owned shops, restaurants, clubs, and of course, the Memphis Free Speech, um, our very own Ida B. Wells newspaper headquarters. Which, if you listen to our Ida B. Wells episode from season one, you'll learn all about how amazing she was. Yeah. All right. Beale Street was a place where black people could thrive economically and equally in a time when there was so much racial injustice. According to famous Memphis historian Jimmy Ogle, it was a place where runaway slaves or free slaves could congregate. We were a sanctuary city. And many black Memphians lived, worked, and played on Beale Street. But for many inhabitants in the area, having a good time did not entail frequenting the sort of saloons and clubs that gave Beale Street its reputation as the underworld. In 1934, George W. Lee, a civil rights leader, wrote, Beale is more than just a little street prowled by, uh, prowled by midnight marauders and seductive concubines. The working people are on parade, going nowhere in particular, just out strolling, just glad of a chance to dress up and expose themselves on the avenue after working hard all week. And as you can tell, music was and still is paramount to Beale Street and its legacy. Pee Wee's was popular with black musicians. Pacini welcomed them in and let them use it like their headquarters. The musicians would store their instruments in the coat closets and used his phone, extension 2893, to book gigs. 
One of the more famous musicians to do his business at Pee Wee's was orchestra leader William Christopher Handy, and he would sit at the bar and compose music. The first composed blues song was called Mr. Crump, which Handy wrote as a campaign song for E.H. Crump. Apparently, Boss Crump never heard the actual lyrics to the song, though, uh, which is probably for the best because the song did not really flatter him. (laughs) Um, Later on, the lyrics were changed and the song became the Memphis Blues. W.C. Handy, now known as the father of the blues, went on to compose numerous other blues songs, supposedly dedicating the St. Louis Blues to the Pacini brothers. Apparently, Pacini enjoyed Handy's music so much he helped him out financially when he needed it so that he could continue to print and copyright his songs. Handy wrote of Beale Street, I'd rather be here than anywhere I know, in his song The Beale Street Blues. Blues was born on Beale Street. Musicians flocked to the juke joints to play this new style of music, and since many of the musicians couldn't afford traditional instruments, they played on whatever they could find, like washboards and jugs. If you're not familiar with the instrument, uh, by blowing across the mouth of a glass or stoneware jug and buzzing your lips, you can get a deep bass guitarish sort of sound. Uh, the best popular reference would be uh, Jim Henson's Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, a favorite from my childhood. And if you don't know what that is, you're a bad person. <laughs> or just kind of young. Or, or just young. But That's right. <laughs> you, you need to learn about what it is or you're a bad person. That's right. Many famous blues musicians got their start on Beale Street, in large part to the Pee Wee Saloon. Muddy Waters, Robert Johnson, Ma Rainey, Rufus Thomas, Bessie Smith, Alberta Hunter, Bobby Blubland, Memphis's Minnie McCoy, and of course, Riley Blues Boy King, just to name a few. And while Handy and other blues artists were going on to success, Prohibition was looming over the saloons on Beale. By 1920, the U.S. had cracked down on alcohol, and unfortunately, that meant Pee Wee's had to close its doors for good. Boo. Boo. Puccini did not dwell on his loss, though. He and his brother joined with Anselmo Barrasso to run the Palace Theater just down the street from Pee Wee's at 324 Beale. The Palace became the largest African-American vaudeville theater on the circuit. And these shows were extremely popular, so much so that on Thursday nights, Puccini set up the Beale Street Ramblers. This was a special showing at midnight that was for white people. They could pay 75 cents and, in a turn of events, could sit in the balcony and listen to black music. Uh, Nat D. Williams hosted a weekly amateur night at the theater in 1935. B.B. King participated in the contest, competing for $1. You'll hopefully remember Williams from our first in Memphis episode. He was a high school teacher turned DJ for WDIA, the first radio station program for African Americans. And Lorenzo Puccini passed away in 1939, but the Palace Theater continued to thrive until 1962 when Beale Street fell into disrepair. In 1968, Beale Street was put on the National Registry of Historic Places, but it wasn't until the late 1970s and early 80s did Beale Street see its revival. In 1977, Congress passed an act officially naming Beale Street the Home of the Blues. And in 1983, the Beale Street Redevelopment Group opened its first club in almost two decades. And today you can find all kinds of nightclubs, restaurants, and gift shops, including A. Schwab's, the oldest business in Memphis, opened in 1876. Uh, Schwab's motto is, if you can't find it at Schwab's, you're better off without it. I find that to not be true, but (laughs) it's a good slogan, nevertheless. (laughs) Well, considering (laughs) what they have there, I don't think they're totally lying. No, they're not totally lying, yeah. (laughs) 
You can find clothes, food, gifts, an interesting assortment of headwear, uh, milkshakes, which is always a good thing, Mm -hmm. and also see a collection of Beale Street memorabilia. Uh, I have plenty of pictures. I'll have to upload some of those of us trying on headgear when Lexi was, you know, like 12. Yeah. It's fantastic. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Beale is also the only street in Tennessee you can legally drink in the street. Uh, so you can enjoy a big ass beer while watching the Beale Street Flippers mesmerize you with their acrobatics before you head in to watch some blues music at the Juke Joint or the Dueling Pianos at Silky's. Pee Wee's Saloon is now called Tin Roof, a music venue and restaurant. It was previously home of the Hard Rock Cafe before it moved down the street. Uh, there's a historic marker outside the restaurant dedicated to the history of Pee Wee's Saloon. Yay! All right. In true Unearthed Memphis fashion, mm-hmm. we also found a little bit of haunted history surrounding the former Pee Wee Saloon. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Supposedly, when construction crews renovated the building, they just took Pee Wee's and shoved it into the basement. Now, I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, they literally dropped the first floor into the basement and demolished the rest of the building to rebuild it. Or was it they just didn't haul off the things and they put everything in the basement? I don't know. Probably the second one. Probably so. But from what I read, they were like, they put it in the basement. Like they were on punishment. Anyway. Baby in the corner situation. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Regardless of what happened, though, I can imagine that means the spirits that may have been residing at the saloon still do. Yeah. Um, Why would there be spirits at Pee Wee's, though? Well, because it was a a saloon and things did get rowdy from time to time, like pretty much any place you go where there's drinking and gambling. And if someone ended up meeting their untimely demise, it was likely their body would be dumped into a nearby bayou. And like spirits do, I guess they just went back to the last place they enjoyed themselves. So the haunting, well, at one point in the saloon's history, it became a recording studio. Uh, apparently, sound engineers would hear unexplained noises and see ghostly apparitions. <laughs> and then after it became a restaurant and music venue, apparently patrons have been bumped into when no one was near. Uh, they've also heard rowdy brawls uh, when there were no fights happening. And they've heard gunshots over the music. Well. The, uh, the gunshots, well, <laughs> that, that might have been, been real. Well, you know, it could have actually been happening. Yeah, it could have been happening. It's, it's <laughs> Beale Street. That's right. Well, needless to say, the building could very well be haunted. However, I have been to this location when it was the Hard Rock numerous times in the dining room and backstage, and I've not felt any weird vibes. Um, but I haven't been to the basement, so maybe we could venture down there and sneak a peek and see if we can find any Pee Wee's patrons of the past. I think that could be fun. It could be. <laughs> What a story. Yeah. Uh, big thanks to Tara's sister uh, for unknowingly living in a house with a cool history. Yep. <laughs> no, she didn't know it had it to begin with. Nope. <laughs> uh, well, the previous owner had a cool history, at least. Right. But it led us down the path of the birthplace of the blues in Beale Street, uh, one of the most iconic streets in our history, and, and I'm going to say it, the world. No, I think so, too. I yeah. think everybody knows what Beale Street is. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, that's our story. We hope you enjoyed this story we unearthed. And always, don't forget to listen to our next episode on your favorite podcast listening app. And also, if you get a chance, we'd love for you to like and subscribe and leave us a review or share us on social media. Yeah, do all that stuff. All those things. Super helps. All the time. 
And check out our website at unearthmemphis.com, Instagram at unearthmemphis, Facebook at facebook.com slash unearth901, Twitter at unearth901, or drop us an email at unearthmemphis at gmail.com. We would love to hear from everybody. Questions, comments, suggestions, corrections, or just chatter is appreciated and enjoyed. Yes, you can talk to us. We'll talk back. I promise. We will. (laughs) We're friendly. All right. Here's our disclaimer. We are not historians. We were simply two people who are interested in Memphis history. We've done research and are trying to provide accurate history as best we can. There is a possibility some of these statements are incorrect, but we have tried to verify all information so that we are not putting out any untrue info. To the best of our knowledge, what we are saying is correct, but let us know if you have any things to add or correct. In the show notes, you'll find links to articles we used and book titles, etc. to gather our information. That's it. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Unearthed Memphis is written, produced, and engineered by Alan Compton and Tara Ingram. The music was written, performed, and recorded by Donnie Wayne Smith and Alan Compton. 